Welcome to another American Bankruptcy Institute podcast. I'm ABI Executive Director Sam Giordano. Today we revisit a topic that continues to be at the heart of the ongoing economic crisis, the causes and consequences of the bursting of the housing bubble. Just as the nation's housing market shows a few modest signs of stabilizing, another wave of foreclosures is poised to strike, inflicting more pain on households, communities, and the national economy. The next wave will refire the debate over whether the bankruptcy code should be amended to allow homeowners to reduce the principal amount they owe, a debate you can join by clicking on the town hall button on our homepage. The conventional narrative in much of the press and among many policymakers is that the origin of the foreclosure crisis lies with subprime mortgage lenders who presumably misled borrowers into taking out complex, adjustable loans at low initial rates. These individuals were then unable to make the higher monthly payments when their mortgage rates reset upward. There is growing evidence that this narrative may not be the full story, that foreclosures are now rising even among those with prime loans, and that a better predictor of foreclosure is the extent to which the borrower now or has ever had positive equity in the home. Getting the causes right matters, of course, because the government's policies aimed at a remedy can't possibly work if the real cause of homeowners underwater is they put no money down to start or otherwise had no equity. During the housing boom, many buyers stopped calculating whether they could afford the house and instead calculated whether they could make the monthly payment. They were enabled by a market with no meaningful underwriting standards. The most daring quote, homeowners, took out interest-only mortgages, placing a counterintuitive bet that buying a house they couldn't initially afford would at some point make them rich enough to afford it. Borrow the whole nut, pay nothing but interest, which, thanks to the work of the Fed, might be less than the cost of renting. Ride the wave, no skin in the game, sell the house at a profit, or simply walk away if the bet turns out to be a loser. That's one theory. A new study of foreclosures from ground zero of the meltdown, Southern California, produces more surprising evidence that negative equity or equity dilution is more a product of post-origination borrowing than even high original LTV borrowers. These moderate LTV borrowers cause their demise by extracting more than all of their equity, making them especially vulnerable when the market fell. Indeed, it is borrower behavior rather than housing market forces that is the predominant factor affecting outcomes. The new study asks, should such borrowers now enjoy special government benefits? We will pursue the question with the principal author of the study, Michael LaCour Little, professor of finance at Cal State Fullerton, where his scholarship focuses on the empirical study of housing and real estate finance. He was formerly executive vice president of the American Real Estate and Urban Economics Association, at whose recent meeting he presented his findings. His paper is titled, Follow the Money, A Close Look at Recent Southern California Foreclosures. Uh, welcome, Dr. LaCour Little at ABI Podcast. Thank you very much, Sam. It's good to be with you. First, can you summarize what you set out to find in your study? What was your goal? A little bit about your sample size, perhaps. 
Absolutely. Um, we wanted to look closely at some of the actual foreclosures that were taking place in Southern California. And we, uh, we started with the uh, loans that actually had uh, encountered a uh, notice of trustee sale. That's the foreclosure auction procedure that as it takes place in uh, Southern California. So what we did is we looked at the title history for loans going to foreclosure in November 2006, November 2007, and November of 2008. And that produced a sample of a little over 4,000 total observations throughout five major Southern California counties. And what was, uh, what was your goal at the outset? Well, we wanted to try and measure the extent to which these borrowers had negative equity. As you mentioned in your introduction, Sam, many policymakers seem to have the view that borrowers were uh, tra- trapped into uh, unfavorable contracts and the higher payments or job loss, something like that, were what led to the defaults and eventual foreclosures. But most economists believe that foreclosures result because the borrower has negative equity, but no one's really tried to measure the amount of that negative equity. So that's what we wanted to set out to do. And uh, what were your key results, and, and what did you find surprising in those results? Well, another, another part of the narrative, as you described it, is that uh, the borrowers who are facing foreclosure now typically bought at the top of the market back in 2005 or 2006, and then through no fault of their own experienced the fall in housing prices that's occurred over the last couple of years. But what we found was that the majority of these borrowers did not buy at the top of the market. And in fact, the average year of acquisition was actually 2002. Quite a few of the borrowers had purchased their houses back in the 1990s. And um, uh, so it's not the case that most of these borrowers even had a capital loss, by which I mean uh, a, a, value, a house valued at the time of the foreclosure sale that was less than their actual purchase price. In your, in your conclusion, you write that, uh, quote, while house price declines were important in explaining the incidence of negative equity, its magnitude was more strongly influenced by increased debt usage. Uh, what was your evidence of that, and what are the consequences for such a reality? Well, one thing we found was that uh, uh, the majority of these borrowers had already refinanced at least once, and by the time they reached the foreclosure sale, about 79% had a second lane, 16% had a third lane, and 4% even had a fourth lane. So most of these borrowers... Um, had actually purchased the property at a moderate cost, and then as housing prices went up, they extracted all their equity either through refinancing their original debt or by taking out junior liens. So when they reached the eventual foreclosure sale, they had already extracted more than all of their equity, as you mentioned in your introduction. Now, you tried to calculate the amounts in the aggregate of, of equity extracted by the 
borrowers, either via, via refinancings uh, and or the junior liens, and also measured it against um, the, the the losses to the to the lenders. Um, in in terms of equity, uh, what did you find in terms of borrowers collectively took out how much more than than they put in? They took out almost eight times as much equity as they put in, Sam. I know it's an unbelievable figure, but uh, our estimates were that uh, borrowers invested in the aggregate, again, this is across over 4,000 households, Mm -hmm. a little over $250 million in equity, and then extracted almost $2 billion in equity. Right. 7.6 times, I think, is the the way the math works out. Exactly. So uh, we also tracked these properties when they eventually sold. Not all of them had sold as of the time we completed the study, but many had. And if we assume the pattern of sales prices continues, then the total uh, lender losses on this will be almost a billion dollars. And how does that compare to the amount of equity that was extracted in the aggregate? Again, that's about half of the uh, equity extracted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, um, that is an amazing uh, result, one that no matter how many times I looked at the chart, I had a hard time uh, believing it, uh, frankly. Now, I also made some calculations uh, in terms of the borrower's uh, rate of return from extracting all this equity, And people have told me I was uh, a little bit, uh, uh, maybe omitted a few factors, but I think even if I went back and uh, calculated all the mortgage payments and property uh, taxes and other sorts of payments that the borrowers made over the time period studied, that probably uh, these borrowers ended up really pretty well off in terms of net cash out on their investment. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we don't know what that cash went for. No, we don't. It may have gone to home improvements. Uh, it could have gone to repairs. There's a lot of evidence to think that much of the cash out that was extracted over the uh, recent housing boom uh, went into financing consumer expenditures. Mm-hmm. It could have used it to pay down consumer debt as well. Absolutely. Now, uh, policies here in Washington are uh, today aimed at the uh, government's plans that, among other things, would would lower the obligation ratio, the share of, of income devoted to the house payment, down to a number around 31%, which is viewed as, as uh, something that uh, a borrower may be able to handle in this environment. But is such a policy likely to uh, produce the kind of results uh, that the government's hoping for in terms of helping people stave off foreclosure if you have, if you have this negative equity situation? Yeah, well, the problem is if negative equity is the real cause and the real incentive for borrowers to default, then uh, simply making the payment more affordable is unlikely to have the intended effect. Um, we really need to uh, consider, you know, that negative equity and, 
and how that came about. Is the fact that this is a California sample, does that, I mean, California, there are a lot of unique things about California, of course, but um, uh, d- does the uniqueness of California, in among other things, allowing people to simply walk away from um, mortgages where the homeowner is, is, uh, is underwater, do those sorts of uh, realities affect the study, uh, the study results in, in ways that we should be concerned about? Well, certainly housing markets are, are local, and uh, I did encourage my academic colleagues when I presented this work to uh, try and get similar data and reproduce, uh, use some of these same techniques to uh, analyze their local markets, whether it's Florida or uh, Ohio or anywhere else in the United States, because I think we really need to know more about the causes of the foreclosure crisis before we uh, develop um, uh, uh, large-scale programs to, to address them. Now, it is, it is true that California tends to be a non-recourse state in terms of mortgage debt, but um, like many things, it's a subtle issue, and actually it's only the original purchase money loan, uh, first mortgage loan, that's in principle non-recourse here, and some of these junior lien debts could in fact be uh, uh, recourse loans, and I'm told by uh, some folks in the title industry that are, there are an awful lot of deficiency judgments being filed these days in uh, California. Now, I haven't independently corroborated that, but uh, uh, that suggests there may be more to it. Uh, but um, uh, that is an important issue. What's been the reaction uh, to your study and, and paper so far in the, in the economics community? You know, I've gotten a lot of interest uh, in it. I even received an email from a gentleman at the uh, Financial Services Authority in England who uh, sent me a PowerPoint showing that some similar sorts of things were occurring in the U.K. during the uh, housing run-up over there. Interesting. Now, now his his theory was that... uh, Borrower, because of the loose credit standards, if borrowers encountered any sort of problems with their first lien uh, loan, their first thing to do was get a second lien, probably a line of credit, and use that to pay the first. And if they had a problem with the second, they got a third. Mm -hmm. Same idea. So, again, it's the idea that the uh, post-origination borrowing is more significant than, than even... Uh, their financial position at the outset of the of taking out the mortgage. Exactly. Um, let me tell you about something I'm hoping to do with this data. I'm hoping to uh, to merge these uh, these uh, loan level data with some other data sources and get more information about the original loans, the borrower's uh, credit score, and original loan to value ratio, and some other factors like that, and it's quite possible that these loans uh, or these properties, when they were originally purchased, were purchased in a fairly conservative manner, but it was then uh, 
the borrower's response to, or the homeowner's response to rising house prices that uh, got them into trouble. For whatever reason, whether they were tempted by uh, the new products that were uh, out there or they had some other uh, financial need to tap into their equity to use their home as a kind of uh, ATM machine. Absolutely. What about, uh, I won't ask you specifically about the uh, what we call the Chapter 13 option here uh, to reduce the, the principal amount the borrower owes down to the fair market value of the property, except to think about what that would mean in terms of um, a, a benefit to, in particular, borrowers, the types of borrowers that you found prevalent in the Southern California markets that you uh, looked at? Yeah, I think that that policy option could be considered, but I'd suggest that it probably should be limited to those households who uh, actually incurred a capital loss. Uh, I, I can't really see why a household who bought a property back in the 1990s, let's say, and took out their equity over time and now has run into a problem, deserves that sort of uh, windfall. Uh, in contrast, a household who bought at the very top of the market uh, with a small down payment, uh, might it might be worthwhile to consider that sort of option. Mm-hmm. So is the answer to your uh, question, uh, your rhetorical question at the outset of which borrowers should enjoy special government benefits, how do you answer that? which borrowers should be entitled to government benefits at this point? Yeah, that's a hard question to answer. And um, I guess my concern is that um, it appears here that the major losers are, are lenders, not borrowers. And I don't think it's a wise idea to reward borrowers who've actually uh, benefited from uh, these sets of choices economically and then breached a contract. I think that that invites the sort of moral hazard problem that we uh, we always get worried about. Well, we're not so worried about moral hazard these days in Washington, but but I understand, at least theoretically, that uh, moral hazard is out there. Uh, Dr. LaCorlito, we're about out of time for today, but we look, certainly look forward to more of your study uh, of this area, and uh, thank you very much for joining us today. Well, it's been good to talk with you. And we thank our audience for listening. You can hear or download the full library of some 70 podcasts from our homepage at www.abiworld.org. Until next time, this is ABI Executive Director Sam Giordano saying good day.